Hello and welcome to another Community Power podcast, a weekly series brought to you by the Community Wealth Fund campaign in partnership with Local Trust. My name's Chris Allen and in this series we've been showcasing some incredible projects focusing in particular on what happens when you give local people the money, the power and the assets to make a difference to their neighbourhoods. With me is series producer Beth Lazenby. Beth, we're doing something a bit different this week as we look back at the end of this series. We are indeed. We're being joined again by Matt Leach, the CEO of Local Trust, um, who joined us for our first episode. And now that we've had the whole series, we're going to be looking back at some of the highlights and getting his reflections. And Matt, you've, you've had a listen through as we've gone through the series. What have been your overall reflections? We'll look at something specific in a moment to do's time. But, you know, what was your over, overall feeling as you heard these people telling their stories? I think more than anything, you just get this incredible feeling of passion, don't you? There's like the energy and the passion that drives people to make want to make a difference to their place. And these, you know, you've talked to people from a whole range of different communities, ranging from, you know, the far northwest of, of England. I don't think you can get further north than you and Rick, can you? All the way down to to the south. And the stories they've told have been incredibly varied, incredibly different. But what they've got in common is that that passion, that real commitment to making a, a difference to their place. And and the fact that they're you know, this isn't the government doing it. This isn't local authorities doing it. This is real people coming out of their front door and and deciding they want to change things. Someone once said to me, as I, they corrected me, in fact, that I said, oh, that this has sort of discovered the community pride. And they said to me, no, the pride has always been here, but this is bringing it out. And perhaps that's what's happened during this series as well. We've heard people tell their stories. In a moment or two's time, we're going to be hearing from Sue and Debbie from L30 in Liverpool. Also, Mark from Brinton in Stockport was kicking off with Barry from Cell, which is in the far northeast, from Cresswell, Ellington, Linton and Linton. But the folk up here, and I've lived all over the country, they are definitely canny. You cannot <laughs> meet, honestly, yeah, I speak funny, yeah, but they know who I am straight away as soon as I open yeah. the gob. But they are so incredibly friendly, it doesn't matter where you're from or whatever, they, they really embrace you. So that's one of the reasons I love being up here, you know, despite all the hardships and the problems, people are amazingly friendly. So it's, it's a brilliant part of the world, I love it, so I can never move south again. The first thing I noticed when I started looking around Grinning to move up here is people took responsibility. I mean, like any area, there are issues. I'm not going to pretend there's not. But the vast majority of people in Brinnington want to live here. People come to me every week and say they love the estate. What can they do to work on it? And what can they do to help it? We love where we live. We're so proud to live here. The community is getting back to what it used to be. And that's what this is all about, rekindling that community spirit and getting back to, to the way it was. That was Debbie from L30 alongside her colleague, Sui. Before that, you heard from Mark from Brinnington and Barry from Cell. Uh, what's your reflections on those particular stories? Well, you, were, Chris, you were talking about pride, weren't you? And you can really feel the pride in their voices, not just, not just when they're talking about their place but also I, I think you know as well as being proud of where you live you can be proud of your contribution of, of, of making a difference and I think that's what we've we've really captured and Beth you had the job of getting people to agree to be on the podcast you know were people keen to come out and tell their stories 
Yes, definitely. Um, the first person that we spoke to was Barry. And when I was talking to him about his area, he sent photographs of uh, the beach where he lives because he's so proud of it. And he just said, I bet you I bet you wish you lived up here and not in London. Um, so people were so, so excited to speak about where they lived and the kinds of things they've been getting up to. Now, lots of the big local work around the country tends to be on some of the smaller projects. Uh, but there's some big, big hitters we had on this series as well. We're going back to Barry with the Peel Tower, uh, and then we're going to be hearing from Ambition Lawrence Weston's wind turbine, which is going to bring money into the community over a period of time. I remember when I talked to Barry, he was really proud at some of the volunteers that got involved, and he had this particular story to tell about one particular volunteer who stood out in his mind. I had a brilliant example last year. One of our volunteers, she only started uh, after July when we actually opened the tower, I was on the first floor of the tower with her, engaging with the public, explaining a bit more about the building. But afterwards, she, she came up to me. She told me, she said she hadn't smiled so much in an afternoon for, for years. Now, this lady, she lived by herself, recently divorced and whatever, so going through a pretty rough time. And that almost brought me to tears. This project, for that one person, has given her a purpose in life. It gave her joy, and she looked forward to kind of, And now she's one of our regular helpers. The reason why Ambition Lawrence Weston came about, our community energy group come along and they said, we've got some lovely fields there. We'd love to whack some solar panels. And we said, yeah, that's fine. We'd love to do that. But what's in it for us? What's in it for the local residents? who are going to take an asset. So we, we um, did a deal with Bristol Energy Cooperative, whereupon we now receive 50% of the profits that they make. That tricked an ideal. Hang on. There's, there could be money in this renewable energy lark. So on the basis of that, we've been working hard now for the past six years to deliver England's biggest um, wind turbine. Um, which will be community-owned by the residents of Lawrence Weston. And again, like I say, Chris, that wasn't to save the planet. That was because we could see the economic opportunities there. At the same time, we realised and appreciated the, the climate benefits as well. Um, we're also planning to put a training centre at the bottom of that wind turbine and deliver um, live data into schools to show them exactly um, how much energy their wind turbine is producing. Matt, what Mark seems to have done there down in Ambition, Lawrence Weston, is sort of keep the money flowing through. I, I think what's most impressive is the way that when you hand over power to local people at a, at a community level, they can bring everything together in a brilliant way. So we've got the solar panels, we've got the wind turbine. You know, they're going to bring income into, into a community at a time, which is incredibly important, isn't it, given the cost of living crisis? The fact that everything's getting more expensive is becoming harder and harder to sustain community activity but they're not just doing that they're also doing it in a way which provides environmental benefits i guess that goes without saying but they've also linked it to education so you can see this way in which you know local people working from the ground up can spot the opportunities and and not just make one change but bring it all together to make a whole series of link chain changes and as we face the cost of living crisis which is going to go on for a considerable period of time and it's always the most vulnerable communities that are hit the most this again will have an impact in that particular area too well, I'm, I'm sure we're going to, you know, not not just in this ser in in this season, we've heard a lot about the cost of living crisis already from people facing it on the front line. I'm sure when we we go out, I'm hoping we'll have another another set of podcasts fairly soon, picking up yet more brilliant stories from across the country. But I, I think that kind of cost of living crisis issue is going to become bigger and bigger, and we're going to see more and more communities looking at imaginative solutions to to make a difference. Earlier in the week, I was looking at DIY SOS. And that, that was being filmed in, in Stoke, in North Stoke, in Feg Hayes, which is a big local area. And there, there were an awful lot of people I recognised involved in, in the fantastic work to take a bit of wasteland, to turn it into a 
park with a men's shed with a community room but at the heart of that they were growing vegetables to teach people how to cook them it was across the road from a food bank um which possibly the biggest food bank I think I've ever seen. But when you talk to the people in the community there looking to make a difference, they were turning out every day to volunteer to run a food bank that was feeding, what, 1,600 people on, on their estate every week? Absolutely critical to, to the health of the community, but also an incredible incredible example of people coming together to you know to support their neighbours and support their neighbours through difficult times. Again, that ties into another theme I felt coming through, which was around looking what's strong and not what's wrong, uh, that a lot of the communities in which big local are based are uh, sometimes impoverished, sometimes have you know years of disadvantage their way. But the focus has been on this strength-based approach, as it's called, or to give, be really technical, asset-based community development. And you know, not looking at what's wrong and how do we fix it, but what's strong and how do we build on it? And I think we picked up a little bit that as we heard from the Cars Sports Players, which is in Solihull, and also then back up in Liverpool in L30 with some of their community videos. We work with Birmingham City, both Birmingham clubs in football and basketball. So we've got Birmingham City Community Trust that we're just in the process. They've been working there for a number of years, which brings people out, inspires them. We've got female coaches as well, which is really important to, to make people be inspired to go along. We've got Delia Alabola, who used to play for Birmingham City, who's you know been involved in opening our fun days and been around the big local, trying to inspire that way. What's more important is, is that they're there over time, not just there for six months and pulled away. Right. And that's really important in community development. And that's, again, the bigger picture, going back to the, the, the big locals. Having a 10-year plan to be there is huge because you're going to be there consistently. And it's made a real difference to a lot of the young people in the area. The way to mobilise and motivate a community is one of the first ways is to make them feel proud. And we wanted to share what was already going on in the area to make them feel proud and want, want to get involved. So all the good things that were going on in the community, they'd be then assured, film made, that would then be shared with the wider community online. And yet this has really taken off. So now we've been able to capture these stories of the Easter bunnies out there giving out thousands <laughs> of eggs. Suey teaching them all the dance. You know, you've got grown men there who would never be seen dancing in a club, but we're dancing on a field and dancing as bunnies. And I think that takes us back a bit to about L30's million investing in local people. Sui is a local girl. She's grown up here. She knows so many people. She's got that power of persuasion. She's got those connections. She's got those ways of getting people involved. Would it have been the same if we'd paid for somebody from outside to come in and said, right, turn up on the field at four o'clock on Saturday to practice a dance? I don't think we would have perhaps got the response that Sui did. Uh, that's Debbie from L30. Before that, we heard from Luke. Uh, who is up the Cars Project in Solly Hall. One of the uh, national outcomes for Big Local Programme, Matt, is that uh, the areas will feel where they live is an even better place to live. Is the way that people see where they live and this positive approach a way that contributes towards that? I think that's got to be true, hasn't it, Chris? I mean, you, you were talking just before the clips about asset-based community development and, and really at the heart of it is finding, you know, people are the real assets, aren't they? In an area and they're the people who've got the potential and you know all successful community programs not just big local are really founded in finding brilliant people and that's got to be founded in a in an affection for their area in connections across their area luke in the cars is brilliant isn't he if you had to find a person in an area who was just driven by trying to get people to pick up sport as a way of transforming their uh, their community 
absolutely, you know, absolutely, you'd want an asset like him in the community. You'd want, you know, you want to make the most of of what he can bring. But when you go to the cars in Solihull, actually, you find there's about five other Lukes, isn't there? They're all absolutely brimming with enthusiasm. You've got the community connectors, you've got the people running the hub, and they're the people around whom, you know, community change has to be built. Obviously, one of the things that we've lived through over the past few years has been the pandemic. And even now we're getting used to that's living with COVID through thanks to the vaccinations we can have and the protection we can give ourselves. When COVID hit, when the pandemic hit, then a lot of big local areas, because they've been working together previously, were ready to respond. One such place was Brinson in Stockport. We knew people who were getting takeaways for breakfast, takeaways for lunch and takeaways for dinner. Wonder if the next step is, do we teach them to cook? Is that what you did? What we created was cooking up a storm. A, who wants to know how to cook? B, who needs help learning how to cook? And C, who needs a little help with getting the fresh to cook? And the first month started out with three people. And by the first lockdown in the August, when we actually had to close the hub, we had eight families on the books. Beth, when we were putting this together, we were trying not to become too COVID-centric because we knew that we were moving forward. But actually, almost every area we interacted with had a reflection on COVID and the lessons that they'd learned, didn't they? Yeah, definitely. I think it just naturally came up in conversation. And earlier on in the series, it was about January, February, we'd just come out of lockdown and it was on everyone's minds. But as we've gone further into the later episodes, I think it's been really amazing to see how lots of areas are looking forward now and thinking about what they can do in the years to come and how that COVID has really helped them rekindle that community spirit. And Matt, a lot of the areas as they went through the pandemic uncovered you know, things that were there already, you know, loneliness, isolation, and a lot of areas also responded. They've even been honoured. Some have got Queen's Awards for the response that they made because they were ready, because people, local people, have been given those powers, responsibilities, those assets on other matters. But when a crisis came, they stepped up to the plate. I think we know from some of the research, don't we, Chris, if, if you look at all the fantastic work being done by the all-party parliamentary group on left-behind neighbourhoods, which is, you know, one of the biggest groups of MPs in Parliament, they're taking this issue of, of community incredibly seriously. They, they commissioned some research to look at what happened during, during COVID right across the country. And what they found was that in communities where there was already stuff going on, where there were community institutions, where there were places to meet, where there were local organisations, you know, whether it was sports clubs or book clubs or art groups, the greater the density of community activity, the more likely it was that when COVID happened, people were going get, to get together and look to make a difference. And I think we saw that in some of the areas the local trust works in, that actually when you, the stuff that was set up before COVID turned on its head and became something incredibly vital and important as a support for the community, immediately the crisis hit. And Mark's told his story, but actually you could go to many other places, many of the communities that you've interviewed on other topics over this podcast series and find some great examples of people doing brilliant things. We know that a lot of communities focused on creativity, dropping off art packs so that kids could have something to do when they were stuck at home, when the schools were closed. It's, there's so many great and inspiring stories which just highlight the importance, not just of community, but also 
how people in communities, when they're given the tools and when they're, you know, when they've got the institutions, the infrastructure to build around, can really step up to the mark and make an amazing difference. Poor mental health has been in communities for a long time and perhaps hidden and the pandemic brought it out. And there were a number of projects that we spoke to that were trying to tackle this in particular. We took a trip up to Ewenrig in the far northwest and also we popped down to Cornwall as well. But first of all, here's Hugamug from the far northwest. So the Hugamug idea came about because we might need a, a non-recorded safe place for people to go so if you go in there, there can't be any of this or they're going to get me doctor's notes out and have a look at this and there's nothing like that we don't even record your names it's completely anonymous we then trained some volunteers in listening and mental health first aid and we had quite a few businesses who were interested in volunteering staff to do turns in the hug and mug so basically they went in they had a cup of coffee if they wanted to talk confidentially even, then they could, or even chatting to somebody else to find out different things that are going on. So really it's a lot of signposting, but also it's a lot, a lot of listening. The last last one we did when we were summing up a year was um, it can free up four days a month for a, a GP, about 1,500 GP visits a year, which is about 45,000 pounds a year that saves them. But it's not only that, it's the ability to give people steps to go on to better themselves to get them back in employment to stop them getting the prescriptions to actually before be a champion for the community you know if he can do it I can and this is what I did to do what I'm doing trips to A&E when they got to the end of their tethers it's trying to get somebody before they reach that crisis point and even if they go and go and talk to somebody for 10 minutes the crisis is less than for 10 minutes which saves the money on the ambulances the doctor's time benefits i mean if these people eventually get their jobs get jobs that they want to do but feel they can't you know then that's even more money out they're holding their own Uh, let's start with the fact we're not claiming that art makes everything better we're merely highlighting the fact um immersing yourself in creative pursuits has many benefits and you know if you spend the time on yourself you can clear your mind and take the time to process and problem solve. And I think there's also an issue about it being an open-ended activity when we live in such a target-structured society. I'm a jeweller myself and I ran a jewellery making workshop and this one lady, she was really taking it out on that metal. (laughs) She was was hammering away. She was loving it and she'd got a newborn baby and she was allowed out for the day. (laughs) She just let rip with this hammer. Matt, I love the idea of people going along to hammer some metal. I, I quite often feel like that, that would that would do me an awful lot <laughs> there's times isn't there particularly particularly at times like this when you feel like there's a lot of pressure out in the world that a lump hammer and a bit of metal would make all the difference but actually there's, there's all sorts of examples of brilliant socials prescribing isn't there across community organizations as a whole because at the heart of social prescribing is finding ways to reconnect people to make them feel less lonely less isolated because we know that people's mental health their physical health improves when they when they have friends when they meet people regularly when they get out and about and feel engaged and part of something you know you can look at the stats and you can see that there's a link between the health of communities and the extent to which there's stuff going on in them community centers pubs places to meet organizations making stuff stuff happen you can track the stats and we know that getting on with your community knowing your neighbor having friends taking part in community activities 
makes you healthier and it makes your entire community healthier as well. And that was all happening before anybody thought of the word social prescribing. It's just been happening there for years and years. So perhaps it's when you get neighbours together, communities together, that this natural care is there in their local neighbourhoods. Absolutely. I mean, you, you can see that when, you know, when people are engaging, when they're laughing, when they're doing stuff together, often you'll see massive improvements in terms of people's mood, in terms of their feeling of self-worth. You can see anxiety lowering. It even affects people's blood pressure. One of the most popular activities over recent months, perhaps because it started as something you could do during COVID, has been walking groups. We've seen huge numbers of, of, of people joining walking groups, going out for a walk, getting fit uh, physically, but also having that important social contact, which just makes you feel much better overall. And that social interaction perhaps is even more important for young people. Uh, we're going to be popping now to Maryport, back up in the northwest, down to Heston West, which is down near Heathrow Airport, and then back to the Black Country, to Grace Mary to Lion Farm in Sanwell, and also Palfrey in Walsall. I think, to be honest, like it's probably personal experience and also just caring about kind of my peers at school and also caring about us having a voice in our community. What was different because in this area in general at the time there wasn't many things happening for the community and Heston West was different because they gave young people a voice and like we were we were able to make decisions and we were able to interact with the older like generation and they were able to listen to us and we were able to listen to them and make things together and it wasn't just the older people were making decisions like young people had their choice yeah someone's got to go and help and if everyone around my age doesn't want to someone's got to step up and do it and Lewis what about you what why did you get involved with it I think mine's a very similar reason to Nick. Um, I've lived around the Wallace area for all my life, starting Dali um, House, the flats, and then moving to a house. And I've got um, a younger sister. I've got younger cousins who go around the area a lot. And at the moment, the area, it's not the best to go out in. There's lots of troubles. The parks there, they're not up to the standard of most parks around other areas. And I feel like through Big Local Little Voices, through the Big Local and all the help and all the youth work we are doing we can try and betterment this area and make it a better place for children so a big part of your motivation was actually thinking about those who are going to come after you your younger siblings and perhaps then other friends as well very much yes it's a lionheart challenge that's been going on for 25 years it's a national program it's a bit like the apprentice um social enterprise people don't oh, get fired no nobody gets fired here. that's okay then. um nobody gets fired so we went into schools five schools we chose locally secondary schools and we set them a task of creating a business plan of a community action project they were given all the tools to set up their own business the research the marketing the finance their partners they had to sell their idea and then present it to the audience and then they would be awarded on those categories that's Imrana Niazi talking about the work in schools in Walsall with the Lionheart Challenge. Before that, we heard from Jazz from Ewan Rigbig Local, Labour from Heston West, and Nick and Louise from Grace Mary to Lion Farm. I think I feel particularly moved by hearing young people taking responsibility and also then think sometimes we're incredibly patronising towards young people, thinking that we can do things for them rather than giving them the resources to do it for themselves. It's, it's, it's a tough one, isn't it, Chris? Because I, I, I know that a lot of the communities we work with actually struggle to engage young people. So it's always inspiring to hear stories and, and, and hear, hear the interviews that you, you, you had with young people who are getting involved and are making a difference. 
young people are doing a lot of other stuff, aren't they? They've got to manage school. Often they're embarking on careers. They've got lots of stuff going on in their lives. But if you can offer them the right opportunities, and if they're really motivated to make a to make a difference, it's incredible what they do when they step up for, for their brothers, their sisters, for their friends. I, again, you know, Grace Mary to Lime Farm, one of the brilliant stories I, I took back from there was the fact that some of the people in their 50s, in their 60s, who were making a difference to that community, were really leading change there, are people who got their start uh, going to youth clubs in the 1960s and 1970s. And Beth, uh, again, you've done well to get young people because it's difficult to engage young people. But again, you had a whole load of places you could choose from in order to draw young people in. So it's exciting to hear that in many areas, young people have really got into being leaders in their community already, never mind the future. I think it was really important to get young people onto the um, podcast because I think there's a perception that it's it's kind of adults that are engaged in this kind of community development work. But actually, when you give young people the opportunity, those episodes have shown kind of how far they've gone. And I think um, the young people from Maryport have been to Parliament to talk about their mental health campaign. Um, The Grace Mary to Lion Farm young people have won awards for the videos that they've created. And a lot of the reflections were kind of around how creative young people can be and they've got less kind of restrictions um, to exploring new ideas and new ways of engaging their community that maybe adults might not have. Thanks Beth and and I think the key aspect of this and the whole series is actually what happens when you put residents in the lead you give them that those resources but the resources have not been great you know it's a million pounds over a 10-year period and therefore Matt Local communities made the very, very most of those resources. They stretched it out uh, and they've strengthened things for the future. It's not just been about, you know, oh, we can throw a bit of money at that. Well, that, that's the big local model, um, Chris. I mean, I, there, are, there are other models of making a difference in communities. You can look back at some of the, the programmes of the past, can't you? The single regeneration budget, New Deal for communities. What you can say when you look at those is that those programmes, when they made the biggest difference, the research shows that it was in those areas where communities were allowed to take the lead in defining where those programs went and what their priorities were. And Big Local as a, as a program, the program that Local Trust runs, really builds on, on that learning. What, what we did back in 2012 was go out to 150 communities around the country and say, here's a million pounds, you can spend it on anything you want, but what you've got to do as a community is come together, select some people who who make the decisions, who will really drive things locally, ensure that they consult with their neighbours as they draw draw up a plan and then get on with transforming your community. It sounds a lot of money, but, you know, it's it's maybe £5, £10 a head a year for, for 10 or 15 years. Lots of amazing examples of, of what people can do. If you give them money, if you give them time, if you give them the ability to make decisions for themselves. And this entire podcast series has been a brilliant series of examples of that in practice. I think, I, I think us being allowed to to listen to people, to actually hear what what it is that they're feeling and what they would like, we can then develop organically rather than having to take, yeah, obviously we've got our health and safety and all of these things, but we're not in a box. That's made a massive difference, to be honest. Um, I mean, regeneration programmes have been tried um, for Lawrence Weston in the past and unfortunately it failed to some degree, um, to a massive degree, really. Um, so things like SRB, neighbour renewal, um, and more locally, uh, neighbour partnerships, where we received a, a small amount of funding, but that funding was never put in the hands of the residents. 
That fund then was to deliver um, other organisations or stakeholders' agendas, if you will, and outcomes. But the beauty of Big Local, as you know, that power is handed directly into the hands of the residents. Um, so we've got a, a lot more freedom and flexibility on how we spend that money to solve our own problems that you know we've been dealing with for many, many years. As long as you put the power into the residents' hand and those resources, you'll be surprised how motivated and how engaged they become and how empowered they feel and the confidence it gives us as well to go out and do that. Money is power. You know, there's, there's a lot of things that we could not have done without investment. And I think, as Sharon said, it was the fact that the investment went directly to the community and our governance mentor community that made those decisions. That was a factor. And I think the fact that we had time because we were given 10 years. Um, and as you said, between pounds and 10 years, it's, it's nowhere near enough. We need 20 to 30 years, especially with the impact of COVID. But it was much more than you know we could have hoped for. And I think what that's given us is it's given us an infrastructure that we could build up from. So those are our final clips. Again, revisiting Liverpool and also Lawrence Weston and also Mayor Reports. Some fantastic stories throughout the whole series. It's been a real privilege to be able to talk to people, to be able to listen to people, get them to tell their stories. Um, but what happens next, Matt? Big Local will be ending in ooh, in a few years' time, but people are beginning to spend out now. What happens next? What have we learned that can help shape the future with regard to what happens when you do give local people the power, the money and the assets as we've been saying and what value for money there is in working that way in our communities well i think as i said earlier all the research shows that if you want to turn around neighborhoods that need to be regenerated that need to be helped to help themselves then putting communities in the lead is the most effective way to do it you can see from the evidence that when communities are involved in making decisions where they set the priorities and take the lead they have more impact 10 15 years on i think what we can say is that there's an awful lot of evidence that it that it does work. And for communities across the country, there's a real question now, of, well, actually, how do we address those issues of, of being left behind, of communities that are both deprived, you know, maybe because of a loss of traditional employers or, you know, shared workplaces, they become financially deprived, but they've also lost a lot of the social infrastructure that helped make them special. What's brilliant is government has, has agreed, has agreed earlier this year, the idea that there might be a great big fund to put money directly in the hands of local people to turn their areas around. And it's going to be incredibly important that people stand up and have a say. We know what works. Now it's time to plan for the next 15 or 20 years. Let's have a community wealth fund. Let's really make use of the incredible potential, the pride, the passion that exists amongst, amongst local people. Thanks, Matt. That's Matt Leach, who's the Chief Executive of Local Trust, that have brought you this Community Power podcast series alongside the Community Wealth Fund campaign. Beth, we always put stuff in the show notes if people want to find out a little bit more. What can we put in the show notes this time, apart from actually saying, listen to the series? We can link out to find out more about the Community Wealth Fund so people can um, have a little look at that. And also a link to our About Big Local page where you can learn more about the Big Local programme. Thanks, Beth, our series producer for the Community Podcast series. Thanks also to Matt Leach, the Chief Executive of Local Trust. And thank you for your company. I do have hope you have the chance to listen to all the podcasts in the series some incredible people with some incredible stories and it shows exactly what happens when you give local people the power the money and the assets to make a difference in their neighborhoods